0: It is so good to have you, uh, to be together with everyone today. Uh, last week, we weren't able to join you because of a COVID exposure. We had to go into isolation. Thankfully, the family as well. But uh, I wanted to ask you first, uh, how was your week? If, you, if we had to sit down for coffee, if there was still a coffee and tea in the corner, uh, and we had to ask you, uh, how was your week? How would you answer that? Many of us would list all of those things that we've been busy with, right? We might start with saying our week was full. It had this and this and this, and it had this to get done, that to get done, da da da. Or you might use just saying it was quite stressful, it was very emotional, lots of things were going on. We tried to describe or summarize our experiences of the last seven days in many, many different ways, right? Our lives are full. We don't have a blank page from Sunday to Sunday or from day to day. It gets filled fairly quickly. Some of those things we put in ourselves, we choose to do things. Other things get put in there on without us really choosing, right? Things get thrust upon us, and we have to deal with them whether we want to or not. Am I coming through? We just need to mute the delay and the chorus on effects channel 2. So we... That's what we figured out during the announcement. <laughs> but uh, what we have to do when we, when we grapple with each week is we carry with us so many different things. Experiences and our interpretation of those experiences, those emotions that we go into each week, we carry with us. right? We can't divide ourselves into different things or saying, this is who I am at, at work or what I do during the day. These are my emotions. These are my relationships. This is my faith. We're all together. One person, if if that makes sense. All of those things come together. And so when we're addressing this topic of becoming emotionally mature, it's not like just working on one segment of our life. It's actually something that informs everything that we experience, that we hope for, that we go through. And so today's topic on becoming emotionally mature, I'm going to kind of unravel it as we go through, we'll be looking firstly at the life of Jesus and say, what, did, what can we learn from Jesus in him becoming emotionally mature, sorry, demonstrating emotional maturity? What can we learn from him? And if you've got your Bibles, I'd like you to open up to uh, Luke chapter 4. For those of you online, you're welcome to scroll there or open up a hard copy uh, Bible, just making sure I'm on time here. Luke chapter 4, we're going to go through a typical couple of days in Jesus' life and see what we can learn from that. Starting in verse 1, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, it's referring to the baptism that he just experienced. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And told tells us that he ate nothing and was going on and all of the temptation. I encourage you to read that for yourself later on. And then it kind of describes Jesus returns from the wilderness and starts his public ministry. It talks about how he was rejected in Nazareth, his hometown, or his area where he was brought up. He was speaking boldly and he was almost thrown off the edge of a cliff, right? And this is just the opening chapter of Jesus' public ministry. I love it. This is like giving you a taste of what's to come, right? And, he, and God saves him miraculously through it. Someone slips through the crowd. Then he casts out a demon. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then we get to the end of chapter 4, verse 40. Get to vo- uh, scroll forward to verse 40. It says, now, and this is at the end of these busy, busy days, when the sun was setting. All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And goes on to describe how he casts out demons and so on. Then drop down to verse 42. It says, And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And what we notice is that Jesus is carrying this incredible burden. Imagine that at the end of the day, you're wanting to sit down, have a meal with some of your friends, maybe with family members, and every single person who was sick in that area was brought to Jesus, and they were saying, Jesus, heal this person, heal this person, and he does it. Can you imagine how tired you must be at the end of that day, right? You get to the end say, I just want a break, I just want a break. You know what, tomorrow morning, I'm going to set my alarm at what time? later, but what we see Jesus doing is setting his cell phone to wake up earlier. He departs and goes to a desolate place. He seeks out a place to be by himself with God. That's what sustains him. So I want to ask you the question to reflect by yourself. What do you do at the end of a very long day? Whatever that very long day was like for you, what do you typically do or what do you do if you know this day coming is going to be very, very busy? You might, you might say, I need to prioritize getting some exercise. You know, I, maybe at the end of the day, I'm just going to get stuck into those chores so I can switch my brain off and get the house clean. That makes me feel at peace. Maybe you switch on the TV or watch something online, read a book, catch up on social media, get to all those WhatsApps that came through during the day that you couldn't get through. I see the nods, right? This is, this is real life. At the end of a busy day, what is the pattern that you typically follow at the end of a long day or perhaps at the beginning of a day that you know is going to be full. What we see in the life of Jesus, as uh, told to us in in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is finding a quiet, desolate, wilderness space. He seeks out solitude, alone time, before his doing for God. And it happens multiple times in the gospel. I could have chosen any of the four gospels and shown how Jesus would take out time in his day to be alone with his father, withdrawing from the crowds to be in a quiet place. And many times, uh, when we think about, I I, I know I glossed very quickly over Jesus' temptation. Many times, uh, you might have heard people say, you know, the devil came to Jesus at the time of his weakest time. You know, he was alone, he was isolated, he was by himself, he wasn't in community, he was hungry, that's Jesus' weakest time. (laughs) But what we find, the pattern in the gospel, that's actually the time of Jesus' greatest strength because he's communing with his father. He's being strengthened and sustained by him and so before Jesus starts his public ministry, he spends 40 days isolated, alone, in solitude with his father. And is able to reject the shortcuts that the devil offers to get the same end. So what, can we, what else can we pick up from Jesus' emotional maturity? Well, his solitude, his time alone with God, he comes out with, first of all, clarity on what he's supposed to do. He tells the people, I must proclaim the gospel. Verse 43, that's what he tells us. He's saying, alone time with God in the morning, saying, this is what I'm here to do. And when we, any, any person who is wanting to follow Christ, spends alone time with God, there's a sense that can grow within us of what we must do. What we must do. Maybe it's for that day, maybe it's for that week, maybe it's a bigger life decision that's birthed out of a time alone with God. It might be ministry-related, if you're serving in in this local congregation or serving in another ministry elsewhere. It might be relationships. I don't know how many times you've been spending quiet time with God, and you just get this impression, I need to call that person. I need to reach out to that person today. And it feels like it's coming out of the blue. Like, I don't know what's going on in their life, but God's impressing on our hearts. Say, reach out to that person. Send that WhatsApp. Call them whatever it happens to be. And it might be something that God presses on your heart, what you're supposed to do, something to prioritize for that day or perhaps for that week. Maybe it just, just comes up to you, like, I really need to you know, have that conversation with my son about this or spend some family time together this week or actually get some exercise this week because I haven't been taking care of myself. So Jesus gets clarity on what he's supposed to do. He also gets the ability or the capacity to say no even to good things. He says to this crowd, no, I can't stay here. <laughs> Healing those people, casting out those demons is good ministry work, right? And yet he still says no to it. He says no to good things because he knows what he's saying yes to. I must go to these other towns and preach there as well. I mustn't settle here. I must move on and accomplish what God has called me to. So I asked you about those patterns of behavior at the end of a busy day or at the beginning of a full day. And, um, None of those behaviors, you heard me mention them, none of those behaviors are sinful in and of themselves. I didn't use any examples of addictions that some of us might be grappling with that become harder to say no to at the end of a busy day or during a time of stress. Those addictions, are just they seem to be worse in times of pressure. But when we spend time in solitude with with God, we gain conviction of what we should say no to. And sometimes the things that we say no to On the surface are good things, but God might be calling us to better things, to pursue higher things. All the opportunities that we face to serve others, to volunteer here, to do this, to do this, to do that, not all those opportunities are equal and should have a yes attached to them. How do we know the difference between two or three or five great opportunities? solitude with God, being with Him, helps us to say yes to the right things and say no to those things that are not necessarily right or wrong, but say no to the things that we need to say no to. The third thing that Jesus has uh, coming out of His time of solitude with God is empowering His kingdom work. In verse 44, it tells us He keeps on preaching. See, He doesn't have this bumper time of ministry then burns out, becomes washed out, and He becomes you know stays out in the wilderness. I just can't face people anymore. He goes into his solitude and he keeps on preaching. He knew, this is what God has called me to. This is what I need to do. This is the priority. And the pace that Jesus was running at to sustain himself, he needed the wilderness time, the desolate time, the solitude time. And the sustainable life for a Christ follower is one that is balanced of being with God and doing for God. Balancing being with God and doing for him. The two have to be in balance with each other. If the one doesn't go with the other, you're going to end up imbalanced and ineffective in the kingdom. And so I want to unpack for the rest of the message is how do we do this being and this doing? How do we get those two things like a scale working with each other? And I know for many of you going, okay, Richard, someone who has a daytime job that's involved with Christian development work, uh, you're saying it's very easy for you to connect your doing, doing, doing with being with God and I get that. I do have flexibility within my role. Others others have daytime uh, responsibilities that seemingly on the surface have got nothing to do with faith. And you might be going, okay, Richard, help me connect. Why must I be with God in my doing, my daytime responsibilities? It might be raising kids. It might be studying, looking for work, a job that's highly predictable, like you know what the whole day looks like before you even start it. Other jobs that are I don't know what's going to happen today. Some curveball's going to come and my, my patience is going to get stretched. I don't know. But for Christ followers, we can connect our doing, our doing and our doing and our doing as an expression of worship to our Heavenly Father. And many times it comes down to who are we doing it for? Those range, those basket of responsibilities that you carry from your nine to five, who are you doing it for? In uh, Colossians chapter 3, it says, whatever we do, we must do it for the glory of God. And when we do anything for the glory of God, it's an act of worship. Whether it is guarding someone's car, whether it's pouring a cup of coffee, whether it is balancing a budget, whatever it happens to be, when we do it for the glory of God, for the audience of one, it becomes an act of worship. And our doing, doing, doing can be fueled by our being with God. So the motivation underneath what we do is, is part of what a Christ follower gets to inject some uh, passion and excitement into, that you can have two people in the same job, one inspired and motivated and fulfilled in their work, and the person next to them going, What's, what time is it? You know, praise God, it's Friday afternoon, right? And just enduring it to the point of getting the paycheck at the end of each month. And especially when we think about how our motivation, if our motivation to do, do, do is rooted in trying to find our identity in that, we're setting ourselves up for problems. We're setting ourselves up for for heartache. Because if we are trying to squeeze out of our vocation, of our daytime responsibilities, if we're trying to squeeze out of that our sense of identity, if we're trying to find our purpose in that, if we're trying to find our sense of I'm approved, I'm good enough because I'm in this job, man, it's so fragile, isn't it? Because as we've discovered over the last one and a half years, nothing is certain. Nothing in the vocation world is certain. What seemed like a sure bet going into the future, and Ryan has shared some of that with his business over the last couple of sermons, it's like what seemed like certainty in the future, all of a sudden doesn't seem certain. I work in the nonprofit, and I know several of us are in the nonprofit sector. Where is the funding going to come from? things before that we had a confidence can suddenly go, wait, what are we having confidence in? What is our hope in? And if we are trying to find our doing, doing, doing to inform who we are, we're gonna be burnt out, spent, bored, unfulfilled. So being with God as part of your daily rhythms will breathe new life into whatever you're doing. Whatever it is that you put your hand to, if that is looking for work, if that is hustling, trying to make sure you can make ends week, that can have meaning and purpose by being with God, fulfillment injected by Him. What was previously boring because the day looked the same as yesterday can actually turn into something fulfilling. That boss that just irritates you that boss that gets on your nerves, that boss that's picking on you or seemingly just giving you a hard time, he's the worst person in the world. Why is it a he? he or she is the worst person? Actually, when you're being with God and we are seeking him, that, that person we can see as being part of our stretching of our character and our, and our growth as a person. That like God, wait a minute, God might be using this person to mature me. Whoa, in the midst of the moment, it doesn't feel like that. But in the times of solitude, we can see that new perspective. So being with God is like fuel to run the marathon that God calls us to do, do, do. It's the fuel to run that marathon. And being with God regularly helps us to say, like what I mentioned just now, say no to things that are unhelpful, say no to things that are unnecessary, and say no to things that are sinful. Because when we pause and we reflect and we live from that space of unhurry, things become a little bit clearer. We can make better choices of what our time is used for. When we're centered in that time of communing with God, we can say, wait a minute. Yesterday, I spent too much time on that silly game on my phone. I think it's time I just delete it. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Man, I'm getting so caught up in all of those comments on social media and getting so like riled up by what this person says and how that per- wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't bringing life to me. I need to manage that area of my life differently today because I'm reflecting on how it went yesterday. That our lives in communing and being in solitude with God allows us to not be carried along by those fast-flowing rivers of society or our workplace or the WhatsApp groups that we're on. We're able to stand firm and go, wait a minute, what can I learn from yesterday so that I can live better today? That time of reflection doesn't come in the hustle bustle of everyday life. It comes from a rhythm of communing and in solitude and the wilderness space that Jesus modeled for us. And we become more purposeful, living life on purpose, not living life by accident. So it's this creating moments and massaging those rhythms into our lives to create those opportunities to receive from God more than what we need to survive or thrive during the day. Let me say that again. To get the balance of being and doing create opportunities to receive from God more than what we need for that day. And we serve a generous God. (laughs) He's not skimping saying, okay, you got this kind of day, Ryan. I'm just going to give you just a little bit and see how you do. (laughs) He's kind of like puts out this lavish feast for us and saying, here we go come dine with me, come eat, be fueled for the day. So people who balance their being and their doing, they self-examine their emotions, and they put in effort to make time to be with God. Now, I know some of you are naturally saying, okay, you used the word effort. Time out, time out. What did you mean by effort? Because doesn't the Bible say, Jesus saved me from all my sin and I don't have to do anything anymore? And there is a loud voice around that kind of thing. But effort is part of the kingdom of God. Effort is part of the gospel. Earning, on the other hand, is the opposite of the gospel. Then there's a difference between effort and earning. There's a difference. Earning is saying, I'm doing this in order to seek approval of God, in order to be saved, in order to get salvation, or in order to get some kind of blessing from him. That's earning, not part of the gospel. But effort, like what Jesus demonstrated, carving out time to go out into the wilderness, that's effort, right? But it's effort because it's responding from saying, I need God. This, this unmerited favor that God gives me, I need to make time to receive that and engage that and live within that freedom. It's kind of like the picture I had in preparing. It's like when we're saved, we're given something that we don't deserve, the salvation. It's like being given a think of the best car that you can think of, right? For me, it's an Audi R8. I don't know what it is about it. I'm never going to buy one, but when I see one in traffic, I'm always like, you know, when your your next train's longer, right? Now, imagine for you, it might be something altogether different, but God blesses you with unmerited favor saying, Francis, here's the Audi R8 for you. Boom, he receives it. You see that hand, receives it, love it. And then you put it in your driveway, you put it on the street outside your house, and go, "Look at it! <laughs> <laughs> Praise God! I've got this new amazing blessing!" and and, that, and there's genuine gratitude towards God. But you never climb in the car. You go, "Why not? Well, I don't have petrol." So you've got an RDR eight, and you're not willing to go down to the petrol station to get petrol to put in it to do what it was intended to do. See the difference there? Unmerited favor, we're given the car, but there is effort in us going to fill it up with petrol to, to fulfill the very purpose that it was put there for. God can save us like this, and that's, that's what we know as justification, going from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Boom, unmerited favor by grace. How do we sustain that life with Christ? How do we sustain that union with him? It's not by sitting down and doing nothing. It's by investing in that relationship. It's putting the fuel in the tank that sustains that wonderful life that we have in Christ. So, if you see me driving down the car down the road in an R- R8, maybe for my birthday you can find someone who's got one and take me a spin around the peninsula. That'll be a great, you know, faith without hints is dead. You know what I mean? Okay, where was I now? I'm totally distracting myself. Okay, so. This effort that I'm talking about in the gospel, I'm encouraging every one of us to use that effort to invest in time with God. And the focus of this particular message is saying in time in solitude with God. There are other avenues of that effort in terms of using the gifts that God has blessed us with, spiritual gifts and so on. And I, and I, I can anticipate you so you're hearing me say today, okay, Richard's just going to tell me, okay, every day, open up your Bible, and that's, that's enough. That's the fuel in the tank. And interestingly, I'm not going to say that to you today. I'm going to share other things. Um, I'm also going to tell you to read your Bible, but that's, that's something else. The, the, they're going to tell you four things, and then we're going to major on two. Of them. The first is to make a decision that this is something that's going to be part of your life. We know this about ourselves. We don't drift into good behavior. It doesn't suddenly wake up this morning, oh, I've got a new habit that brings more life to me and those around me. <laughs> it takes a firm decision. Secondly, feel your feelings. In a series on emotional maturity, I'm going to come back to this point in a moment. Thirdly, practice silence, this wilderness experience, this solitude that I mentioned just now. And I'm going to come back to that too. And then fourthly, communing with Jesus throughout the day. It's a beautiful thing that the faith that Christians have is not in a God that's located in a particular area in the world, but he's actually in all places at all time. There is no way that you can go that God is not. Even in the hardest job situation, even in the the darkest of nights, God is there. He is with you, and we can commune with him through his Spirit. We can have community with him wherever we are, not just at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day, which when you might be able to carve out a, a dedicated time, throughout each day, you can commune with your Heavenly Father. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But I'm gonna come back to this thing of, of feeling your feelings. Now, I, I, I was writing a whole lot of things and I, I don't wanna to overlap too much on what we've heard in this series already. But to, to, be, to effectively be with God, we need to experience our emotions, to feel them, to examine them and to bring them to God. I mentioned uh, just now that without carving our time, we can rush through life without appropriately processing what's going on inside of us. Now, that up there is known as the feeling wheel, and, and I encourage you if, you, if it's too small to read, I know for you online it'll be too small, but if you want to find it, just Google uh, or use a search engine to find uh, feelings wheel, and it'll pop up fairly quickly. Uh, but the idea around this is to, to, in order for us to grow, we're to identify what's going on inside of us. If I said to ask you what I did earlier, what did you feel this week? <laughs> you would just start listing a whole range of things. Try to summarize your day in one feeling word. It's like, no, my day was this and this and this and this and this and this and this, all of it together, right? We, we uh, have printed this out and we sometimes use it at the dinner table and the children have had a particularly big day and we say, what are you, what's going on inside of you? And uh, my middle daughter is very in tune with her emotions. She'll start listing about six or seven things based on what's going on in her day. Another child just go, it's that one, you know, there, that's it, right? And we process things a little bit differently. But giving words to what's going on inside of us moves it from inside of us to something that we can examine. And not just carry it along, but actually say, okay, what is happening here? And we encourage you to journal these kinds of things. And reflecting on what happened yesterday, you might decide, I experienced this in this interaction. I wonder why. I wonder what's go- what else is going on that I'm feeling this about that event. And only in times of quiet and solitude can you have that kind of honest conversation with yourself, right? If I had to ask you now, why did you feel this about that? You'd be like, I, I just need to declutter what's going on around me to be able to process that. And so exploring your best guess of why you're feeling that or how strong you're feeling that particular emotion. So sometimes when we identify a word and uh, let's just pick on, wow, I need my glasses, Um, fragile. Let's just pick on fragile. I'm feeling fragile. And we follow it up with on a scale of 1 to 10, how fragile are you feeling? Because sometimes it's a little bit fragile, and other times, man, I'm, I'm very thin-skinned at the moment. I'm very fragile. Like anything else, it's the straw in the camel's back. I think I'm going to melt down if anything else goes wrong today, right? So there's a, a scale of that. And as you do that and you try and figure out, why am I feeling fragile? And try and trace the roots back to what happened, a missed expectation of what happened. Someone said this, I responded in this way, da da, da. You can follow that thread. You become more aware of who you are, your weaknesses, your limits, and how your past impacts your presence, all of which is what we've unpacked in this series so far. And you're going to become more in tune with yourself, in tune with God, and in tune with others. I had this a couple of Fridays ago. Um, I got a, a... an email at the end of the day, this piece of work wasn't done, and I responded, and I just, and then one of my colleagues sent a voice note after hours, and it just kind of got into, under my skin, and I'm trying to mix up, and I'm trying to figure out why I'm feeling so bleh. That was, I think, what the word I was trying to describe to myself. <laughs> it's like, what's going on here? And I was, I was getting more and more resentful, I realized. And then I became a little bit self-righteous. Like, what right does this person have to send me this voice note after hours? Like, and then I started getting into, and I know we all do it, I'm not the only one, that argument of like, whew, okay, when, I, when, I, when I'm finished chopping this onion, I'm going to send this voice note back to this person and put them into place. I picked up my phone, I started saying it, and then, you know, you can swipe to delete it. i got two sentences in, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, time out. I am not in the right headspace to, to voice. I'm just going to make it worse. And then part of me was saying, oh, wait a minute, I just want to avoid this conflict. So I'm just going to say voice and apologize. Right? Both of those options that I gave myself were not true to who I was. Right? I needed, after I'd finished supper, to have a quiet moment and go, what's actually going on here? What's really going on here? Because this stuff's on the surface. That's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling resentful. You know what I felt? I felt shame that I wasn't on top of the work that I thought I was on top of. And I was responding from a place of shame. So self-righteousness, like who do you think? That's just offensive. Just trying to protect myself from that shame, Right? Now, on a scale of one to ten, the shame was like at a two. It wasn't like overwhelming, like I feel this and this. But only in that quiet moment of silence and solitude was I able to dig down and go, okay, God, what's really going on here? What's happening inside of me that I'm behaving like this or wanting to behave like this? The emotions were neither good nor bad. They're just emotions. And it's teaching me something about myself also realized the next day, I was tired when I got that voice note. I was exhausted. And that's never a good place to be responding, right? <laughs> often, that knee-jerk reaction is often not the best one. So, in a message on being with God before doing, how does feel your feelings uh, come into this, is that being bef- with God before we do is that we bring all of our emotions before God. We bring all of them. We can run so fast through every single day that these emotions are going on. We're responding from them without even recognizing. And if we slow down and we pause and we get before God and actually see what's going on inside of us, God loves us no matter what we're feeling. That pausing, that growing in emotional maturity in being with God allows us to be who we are. And allow God's truth to sink into us and grow us exactly the way we're feeling. Not waiting until we feel good enough to spend time with God. You might be thinking, oh, I'm feeling too frustrated to be with God right now. That's the perfect time to be with God. <laughs> Have you ever read the Psalms, right? God, I pray that you'd smash my enemies upon the rocks. That's in scripture, that's not sinning. <laughs> That's coming before God and pouring yourself out before him and being honest with him and saying, God, this is what I'm feeling. Help. Help. So, the next big thing of being before Jesus is to practice silence and solitude. To practice silence. This is those wilderness moments that I mentioned And in today's world, it feels like silence is probably the most valuable of things that we can cling on to, right? If we think about how much of our day is filled with various responsibilities of worries, of plans, of distractions, our inner world might be frantically spinning, and there's limits to how much time we can actually pause and be with God in silence. And when I talk about silence, I'm not just talking about, you know, turning off those things that produce noise, which is part of it, you know. Turn the radio off. Turn that podcast off. If you have the capacity to be in a room away from other people, fantastic. But uh, if I think about just getting to work each day, for those of us catching public transport, it's noisy. There's things going on, right? You get to work, blah 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 blah. Get home, it's other people in the household, and you kind of climb into bed each day and go, <laughs> and that's it. No pausing, no reflecting, because the rest of every waking minute is crammed full with it. Some of us might even fear silence. Research shows that in a group about this size, silence is okay up till about 15 seconds. And then people start to feel awkward. And if I had to pause for 15 or 30 seconds, what I would say is, some of you look around. Some of you pull out a phone. Say, let me just check. How long is this going to go for? Start thinking about the shopping list, right? What are we going to make for supper? Oh, yes, we still need to go do this piece of homework with the kids, whatever it happens to be, right? And silence we fill very quickly. We get distracted. Our imagination can start running wild, right? Think, not just responsibilities, but like I mentioned earlier, start to lecture people that have hurt you. Or maybe you're thinking, man, if I was preaching, I would say this, Right? right? Does that just happen to me? Whew. You know, talking about the R8, man, if I had that much money, you know what I would do with that money? Ooh, I would go here, I would do this, and your brain is down that imagination thing, right? It's not just me, I promise you. But uh, so many times when you face silence, we turn something on. Put a podcast on. It might be a great podcast that grows our hearts and our minds and our spiritual life. We put the music on. We do this. Uh, when, in reading a book by uh, John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he points out that in the olden days, bef- basically before we had cell phones, like if you were sitting on a bus trip somewhere or on a long car trip, there was no distractions. There was no device to look at, right? What would you do? Stare out the window. When last did any of us simply stare out a window for an extended period of time? So many things that bring us great joy and connection and all the rest of it can crowd out the sense of peace or sense of silence that can help us process and actually commune with God. So the verse that I would love us to memorize for today is looking at the model of Jesus, the verse that we memorize, is Psalm 37, verse 7, which says, Be still before the Lord and wait for. Patiently, for him, patiently is more than fifteen seconds. <laughs> I hate to say it; uh, it is longer than fifteen seconds because this practice of of silence and solitude—it's hard, but it's worthwhile. And in the midst of the chaos of every single day, sitting in silence, in stillness before God, is a transformative practice and experience. And why is it so transformative? Well, in silence and in solitude in the wilderness before God, we, we surrender our will to God's will. Because we're not frantically rushing through a prayer list of saying, okay, God, I promised I'd pray for these people. Bah, 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 and I've got this person that I'm praying for. Bah, 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 all relevant things. Those are not bad things. But we come before God. We rush into his presence and go, God, that's what I want. See you next, see you next time. And so by pausing and saying, okay, God, what do you want to say? It changes the conversation, doesn't it? It's no longer God, here's my list, It's saying, what are you saying to me today? We surrender. We learn to accept his will. We let go of our agenda. We focus on him and not the needs that we want met. And doesn't that change relationship? You might know somebody that you've interacted with, might be in your family, or maybe someone that lives close to you. Like every time you interact with them, they're asking for something, Right? I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. It doesn't feel like a relationship, does it? It just feels like an ATM. Right? And what we we do in silence and solitude and focusing on God, we listen, we engage, and we commune. And so... Are transformed. God reveals the areas in our lives that He wants to transform in us. It's a beautiful thing because we might be going, God, I need this. I've got a deadline tomorrow for budgets, right? Any budget writers will know that distinct balance of frustration and hope and all the rest of it that goes with it. And I'm going, God, I want your guidance. I want to have a good plan for this. In silence and in solitude, God can be revealing that I'm actually depending upon myself and not upon him when writing that budget. That's just one example. When we are silent before God, our attempt to find love and attention and acceptance through our doing, that's removed. Because we're saying, God, before I do anything for you, I am before you. I am in front of you. I am with you. So, your times with God that you spend you might call it a quiet time. That's old language. You might call it a devotional time. It might be something like a quick quick verse, quick prayer, head out the door. Or it might be marked by lots of long times of prayer and worship. That's, both of those things are good. But in pausing, in silence, we don't rush past what God might be saying to us in return. And so how do you practice the spiritual discipline? The first thing I'm going to say is have grace for yourself. As I mentioned, these little devices, the people that we live with, the noises that are outside of us, they crowd our attention. Going from zero to an extended period of silence and solitude is like going from zero to running a marathon. It's just take baby steps first. Start somewhere. Aim at two minutes per day. And after a while, aim at three minutes. Aim at four minutes until it's something that's part of your daily rhythm. What do you do? There's there's some kind of physical preparation that you've got to do, physical readiness. Find a place where you can sit still and uninterrupted. Now, again, some of us, that's hard to do, given the the environment in which God has us, right? It might have to be when other people in the household are asleep uh, because that allows you to be uninterrupted. And it might, if you have the capacity to go out into nature, many times people find that exhilarating, being in a bench in a park somewhere, having that moment with God. Uh, sit straight, so don't lounge. Don't uh, Silence before God is not the five minutes between your snooze buttons, right? <laughs> it was for me this morning, this morning, the snoring. Did you hear that? <laughs> so you sit still, you breathe slowly and naturally and deeply. What that's doing is essentially saying, okay, I'm ready for this. I'm, I'm, I'm in God's presence. And then there's some spiritual preparational readiness. You offer yourself to God. You say, God, I'm here. You let go of your cares and your worries. You close your eyes or lower them to the ground, and you allow yourself to be sinking into God's loving presence. Now, this might sound a lot like mindfulness, and it is. Where do you think mindfulness practitioners got it from? It's from the long tradition in the Christian faith. Now, you may be asking, okay, do I just switch my brain off for those three minutes, those five minutes? You might need something to get started. And for many people, they find something that works for them. They try out a few different things that works for their personality wiring. So a couple of things I'm going to suggest is that um, you, th- you ponder a verse, something that helps you to focus on God. And when you get distracted, when that thought comes running in of like, oh, need to get that from the shops later on today, right? Not bad thought, just competing thought. What you do is you come back to that verse. That, what, a centering verse. And then you start again. And you keep coming back to it. And you're saying, God, what are you saying? I used to, uh, I haven't used it in a while. I don't know why. I, I have an app that would read out a verse to me. And then there would be a short unpacking. And then quite it, literally in this app, there would be a, a portion of time that would be silent. And give you a chance to ponder that verse and that unpacking, what it means for you. Sometimes I would use spiritual imagination. And saying, okay, what does this verse mean? Okay, and I picture myself in that whatever it happened, like I'm a child of God. Maybe the the, the unpacking is that like, I'm a child of God, I'm a child of God. And then spiritually imagine how would a child of God interact with God? With Jesus. Maybe it's getting a big hug from my older brother Jesus. And spiritually imagining things related to that. And then my mind would wander off and say, Yeah, it'd be great to you know do this later on. Okay, just come back. I'm a child of God. Don't get upset that your mind wanders. Don't get upset. It's not, you, you, you're trying to recorrect patterns that have you had your entire life. So don't, be, don't get upset. Don't make it a bigger deal than what it is. You're saying, I'm going to come back here. I'm going to come back here. A two way conversation with your Heavenly Father. Another app I'm going to sh- tell you about later on reads scripture over you. So it goes slowly through a, a, a psalm, for example, and reads verse one four times slowly and then gives you two minutes to ponder that, to reflect on that. And then if your mind wanders, what do you do? You come back to those verses. I'm gonna show you that verse, verse later. Other times I would read through a, a verse a few times, I'd pray through it, say God, and then go into times of silence. I wouldn't go straight from into silence. It would be some kind of spiritual preparation that I'm focusing on what God is saying to me on that day. And sometimes what you would do uh, to, to, to tie the two points together is as you're practicing silence, the first thing you're doing is you've got all of these feelings going on inside of you that you may need to process first before you can be effective in your silence. And so you bring the whole of yourself. You don't leave your emotions at the door. <laughs> you're saying, okay, God, I'm feeling stressed about this sermon today. What's happening? Why am I feeling? St- I'm not feeling prepared. God, what's, what's, what's going on here? Why am I feeling un I feel like I'm not, I'm not seasoned enough to bring this. I feel like I have a credibility gap here. I'm just letting you into the window of silence and solitude I had earlier this week. It's like, what's going on here, God? I'm feeling unprepared. I'm feeling anxious around this. I'm frustrated that Andre asked me to preach this sermon and not the other one. But that's not Andre. That's me. What's? Do you hear what I'm saying? It's this conversation. I'm not asking God, bless the sermon, although I have. In that moment, I'm going, why, why am I feeling this about this ministry opportunity? And then sitting in silence, saying, God, speak to me. And just like any spiritual discipline, the first time you do it is going to feel a little bit maybe awkward, maybe odd, maybe unfulfilling, maybe unnecessary. But it's the type of thing that I want to encourage you to do. It. So, hooray, let's do it now. How about that? You want to practice some silence and solitude? For those of you at home, um, I know this may be difficult, maybe need to go into another environment if there's noise around you at the moment, uh, but try and find a place where you can be sitting quietly, uninterrupted. We're going to do it for three minutes. I'm going to set a timer, and um, I don't want to talk during that time because I don't want to distract you, um, And the verse that we're going to use is very similar to Psalm 37, verse 7, and it's a verse that many of us will have heard. It's, be still and know that I am God. And so as you sit comfortably, as you close your eyes, if you're comfortable doing that, as you wait on God, any distraction, whether it's the noise of somebody else or the cars outside, you come back to the verse, be still and know that I am God. What are the emotions going on in your heart and mind right now that you can bring before God and have that conversation with Him? And how does this verse, be still and know that I am God, speak into those emotions? And when your mind wanders, just bring it back to the verse, and we'll give you three minutes. Be still and know that I am God. I want to encourage you um, with what you've gained from the last three minutes, whatever you experienced, to share it with somebody else. Share that experience. Whatever degree of comfort you have with sharing that person, you might need to give a WhatsApp call or someone if you're, if you're tuning in online. But just one small nugget that you can share with somebody else the reason I say that is because sometimes you go, I got nothing, and then well, I got this kind of thing, but it doesn't feel really big. And somebody else, God spoke to them in a different way around that. So that was three minutes. Saints check, did that feel long or short? It felt long, hey. Three minutes. Feels long. Strange, huh? Hey? How many of you heard the cars outside? Got distracted. Somebody coughed. You heard someone come in, maybe you heard the kids upstairs or something. It's amazing how quickly our minds can go to something else. And that's why this is a practice. We don't get upset with ourselves if we hear the car and we go, okay, okay, come back to it, come back to it. For myself, it felt really weird being silent with a camera on me with a microphone strapped on. It's kind of like, okay, 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 Have I said everything? And my, the first minute was literally me saying, what else do I need to say? How am going to land this moment? What should I say that doesn't interrupt people? It's like there was no silence and solitude there. It was just, it's like this torrent of thinking and then i be eventually able to get to that point of like, be still. And what stood out for me was, know that I am God. That word know, it was just like this solid sense of like saying, God's got this. Even if I messed up this entire sermon and all of you walk out going, what a loser. What, he's so irrelevant, so non, like what a forgettable sermon. God was saying to me, know that I am God. He's still in charge. He cares for you more than I do. He wants your flourishing more than I do and I can rest in that. I can have a great afternoon nap knowing that what has been deposited today, God will take forward into his plans and purposes. I mentioned two apps. I want to highlight them here. I don't get paid for promoting these. There's no paid. uh, Moses, next slide, please. Uh, Just these two I find helpful. Uh, For some people, using apps brings life, and for others, it brings distraction. You know what works for you, and I suggest you try it out. Both of these are free apps. The Christian mindfulness that has uh, several different options, including that Lectio Divina. I don't know why they still have it in Latin, but like reading with God. You can set it up to say, read this verse or this this chapter verse by verse slowly and put two-minute pauses in between that I can process them. That might really help bring some focus to your time of solitude with God. And then soul space, uh, less structured, it's just normally a verse, and then someone sharing something and then creating a couple of minutes for you to process it. Um, And then there's also a great video that I want to circulate, if it's okay, John Mark Comer explaining how to do silence and solitude. Um, Just able to go into more detail than what I've been able to go into today. I can put that on the announce group, if that's okay. And uh, you can process that nine minutes uh, at a time of your own choosing. But that's that's it from my side. I didn't want to take more time than what I needed. And I encourage you, this week, find those times, put that effort in to the time of the wilderness with your Heavenly Father. Thank you so much.